Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Bootcamp. Find out how to enroll in this basic training at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. And welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Whether you're listening to us or tuning in via video on heattreattoday.com forward slash radio, we're glad to have you. In this episode, we want to share the common cybersecurity concerns and solutions that heat treaters face in this day and age. To understand this topic, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today and host of Heat Treat Radio, spoke with four experts with four unique perspectives on cybersecurity in the heat treat industry. We'll meet with each of them now. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Heat Treat Radio. We're going to talk about a relatively uh, serious issue today. Hope to have a little bit of enjoyable time doing it. Really happy to have these these four people on the call with us. But we're going to talk about cybersecurity, probably one of the most pressing issues. Obviously, it's not heat treat specific, uh, but we're hoping to take some of the specific issues that deal with cybersecurity and, if possible, drill them down into the heat treat industry as best we can. So I'd like to introduce uh, our, our prestigious crowd here uh, today. Uh, they're going to talk a little bit about it. First, I'd like to introduce Heather Falcone, who's the CEO of ThermalVac Technology, Inc. out of California. Uh, Heather is the CEO, as I mentioned, and is currently serves as a member of the uh, member on the board of directors of the Metal Treating Institute. She is a recognized trainer, writer, public speaker on a variety of topics such as leadership, business, and heat treat equipment. Uh, at her company, she has led them to be fully compliant in NIST 800-171 and DFAR 252.204-7012. That's important, I'm sure. Cybersecurity program, as well as EOS system. And Heather is, in fact, a member of the 2019 Heat Treat Today class of uh, 40 under 40. And I also, I don't know if they're going to be able to see this. I'll put it up on the screen. If not, there's Heather's picture in a really nice magazine that we got about leadership. I know, anyhow, I was glad to, glad to have you here, Heather. Appreciate it. Thanks, next, next is uh, Brian Flynn from Erie Steel Limited. Uh, Brian's a third-generation heat treater, attended the University of Cincinnati, earning a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering with a minor in Material Science. He's also uh, completed an executive MBA from the University of Toledo. As a plant manager, he has a close familiarity with technology development, people skills, customer service, and management of technical services. Also a member of 40 Under 40, Heat Treat Today's 40 Under 40, class of 2021. And uh, We've, we've asked Brian to get involved here because I think he's probably got a good perspective on implementing some of this uh, cybersecurity stuff. So appreciate you being here, Brian. Thank you. Uh, next on our list, we have uh, our an international entry, Mike Lubke from uh, Nitrex, actually. He's working out of Germany right now, but let me, let me read what we got here. Mike has been with Nitrex going on two years and is the is leading the creation, implementation, and marketing of new gi- digital platform for the Nitrex Group. Uh, he has a background in mathematics and physics, as well as substantial knowledge in R&D and metallurgical modeling, and is in currently in charge of Nitrex software and digitalization uh, department. His expertise in AI, artificial intelligence, and process prediction led Nitrex to develop very first uh, IIoT-based uh, uh, platform called Cumulus, which is an, an the acronym is Q-M-U-L-U-S. Uh, his thirst for knowledge enables him to remain ahead of evolving technologies. And as I mentioned, he's working out of Germany and he was, and maybe still is a professional windsurfer. I did enjoy the videos, by the way, Mike. It was very, very good. So thank you very much. It. Yeah, it's interesting. It looks exciting. You certainly went to some nice places there. So finally, I would like to uh, introduce Don Martini, who I've had the pleasure of working with in the past. Don, always good to see you. VP of Engineering at Seco Vacuum Technologies uh, for over five years, right? Been there during his career. Don has fulfilled many roles, including three years as a project engineer, two years project manager, and two years as the engineering team leader. He's a licensed professional engineer. Don led the implementation of a 3D modeling uh, tool at Seca Warwick when he is not busy being a Cub Scout den leader, which is great. 
Dawn uh, presents papers on state-of-the-art heat treating technologies. Dawn is also a 40 under 40 class of 2021 uh, recipient. So congratulations on that. And Dawn's just a heck of a nice guy all around, which I'm sure all of you are. Thanks, so <laughs> good to have you all. All right. So let's jump in, guys. This is a relatively, relatively uh, you know, serious topic that we've got going on here. Uh, but let me just throw out some questions to you. And Heather, maybe I'll start with you if you don't mind. Uh, when we look at the risk potential in the heat treat market, I guess the first question that comes to my mind is, okay, who should really be worried about this? Who are some of the people? And then I may jump, Brian, maybe I'll jump to you after Heather's done with some input on that as well. Go ahead, Heather. Well, the short answer is literally everybody. Literally every person in the United States is subject to uh, being a target for a nation state level adversary such as China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. No one is safe. No one should assume they are safe. And every single person in this country, regardless of whether you're a business a person or not, should protect the data that keeps us safe. Yeah. Do we have a sense, Brian, maybe over to you on this? And again, as I mentioned before we started, if, if somebody doesn't have a comment on this, just pass on it. But do, is there, are there people or organizations or systems in the heat treat industry specifically that are a higher risk? Or what, what do you think as far as risk? In terms of age group demographics, you know, the baby boomers, as well as Gen Z and younger are considered the most vulnerable for cyber attacks. Baby boomers didn't have great exposure to today's brand of cyber attacks, nor did they grow up with the internet and computers as we know them today. Right. Uh, Gen Z and younger, there's a certain carelessness in terms of sharing personal information. You know, there's too trusting. Yeah. On top of that, you know, COVID created new types of uncertainty um, in conjunction with the influx of new users going online since 2020. But more from a business perspective, uh, Yes, it, it depends. Healthcare, government, and financial-like institutions pose the highest potential reward, but also the highest risk. In terms of frequency, small businesses like myself, as a commercial heat treater, um, are the number one target as they typically lack resources and capital expenditures in order to um, to invest in the infrastructure. So, and it might just be a pipeline where they're going through the small businesses to get to my bigger fortune 500 customers. Um, but it's really mainly phishing emails that are infected with malware. Um, over the past 12 to 18 months, it's, it's been crazy how many have made it through our firewall. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. That's it. So that over to our equipment guys, I should mention Heather and Heather and uh, Brian are both commercial heat treaters. Mike and Don are are really both kind of equipment guys, although Nitrex also does some uh, some commercial heat treating as well. So Don, why don't we start with you? Just same question: Who who's at risk here? And then Mike will end with end with you, please. Well, you know, it, in addition to what Brian said, uh, which I found interesting on on some of the demographics, it's important to realize too that it's not just people; it's also equipment. Uh, you know, the yeah. equipment is is becoming more and more interconnected, especially with, uh, you know, the IIoT, um, you know, uh, capabilities that most of them have now and all the unique features that that brings. But what that means is that in order for that that technology to function as as it intended, it has to be connected to the, the Internet, which, you know, opens up uh uh, more doors for access to sensitive data. And it's not just data that you receive, it's data that you generate, right? And that's the important thing I think that everybody's got to realize is that once you're in that chain of, of uh, you know, uh, subcontracts, shall we say, and, and you're, you're working with those folks that are contracting to the government, handling sensitive data, you're in that too. So it's important to recognize that it's just, it's not just you, your users, but also your equipment and how it's interconnected to the network. Right. There was, I'm reading a book right now. I'll give a plug to this guy, Mark Mills, who we've interviewed before on this show, actually. It's called The Cloud Revolution. He's been talking a little bit about this. The amount of data that is out there, because we're able to get data off of machines and things like uh, like that now and are doing more and more is just skyrocketing, right? So yeah. it's that data that's going to be an issue. Mike, over to you. Just uh, want to wrap up as far as risk assessment here. Who are who are the people, organizations, uh, equipment, or whatever that's most at risk? 
Yeah, from my perspective, there's not that much to add. Yeah, we covered already the topic. So we have this human factor, which plays a really, really big role um, in terms of cybersecurity. Yeah, people are really sloppy and uh, do not have the right mindset uh, to treat data as they should. Um, we have also a lot of times not the right policy in place. We do not have the education needed and so on. This is also, uh, also always this human factor, but mm -hmm. also with the uh, heat treatment as a really old uh, industry is still manufacturing as well. Um, we have a lot of facilities which are with outdated infrastructure, yeah, because this is also a big topic. Old, yeah. uh, outdated infrastructure, outdated network designs, firmware, which is, uh, uh, we do not need to talk about, it's 20 years old and older. Yeah? So <laughs> nobody knew about the potential risks that uh, arise during the last decade or in, during the last days. Well, years. Yeah. So yeah. This is also a really, really important factor. And yeah, that's it from my perspective. Okay, good. For Thank everyone, you. as said, is at a high risk. Um, so summing it up, it's yeah, literally yeah. everyone at everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So if you think you're safe, you're not, right? I think that when Heather first exactly. started talking, I'm going, boy, this is going to be a horror show. You know, I mean, if you think you're safe, you're not, you're, in, you're most at risk. So all right, let's talk about just real quick. I mean, data, data storage, that types of things are are really at the at the core of this. I think you know where are we going to store all of our data? How do we do it safely? Uh, when it comes to data storage, okay, what problems have maybe have you witnessed or are you aware of? And how about solutions for for data storage? I mean, is it is it safe, Don? Let's start with you on this one. Then we'll go to Mike. Uh, is it? Is it? I know a lot of companies say, "Well, I just want to keep my data in house." I mean, is that is that the answer, or is it? You know, what are we doing with data? I guess. Uh, that varies from my my observations. It varies from customer to customer, industry to industry. But you know, there there is a sense to move it to the cloud just because it's easier to manage there. But with that brings risks, right? And I think everybody's got to be aware of that when they make that decision. You know. On one hand, do I maintain my own servers? Do I hire the, the people to uh, man those servers, et cetera? Or do I pay somebody else to do that in the cloud? And you know, do I take that risk of the data being someplace I don't know and I rely on the, the Fortune 500 company who I'm contracting to, to maintain the cloud to secure it? Or you know, do I do it myself? Uh, these are not easy, especially for small businesses. They're not easy. Uh, questions to answer. Um, and like I say, I've seen both. And again, with the in, in invent of Industry 4.0 and uh, you know IIoT, uh, the pressure to move to the cloud is, is pretty high. So yeah. if you want to take advantage of those, those uh, technologies. Those technologies. Mike, how about you? What, what do you think about that as far as data storage and things of that sort? Yeah, I think Don mentioned already the, the, yeah, the two options we have. We could take care of all the data storages ourselves, having big data servers uh, on premises, uh, having people responsible for it, managing everything, um, keeping it running, uh, having, yeah, no creation of redundancy, call it like this, having backup systems, all these things that yeah, would need to manage by yourself and uh, the requirements are getting tougher. Yeah, if you think of having, um, yeah, data for the aerospace uh, stored. If you're talking about decades of, of years, yeah. Or, so that's it. And uh, yeah, the alternative is to put everything to the cloud. Yeah. So then you just say, okay, I need more data and more data storage space available. Um, you can also make use of all the uh, security measures created, for example, for, by the all big cloud providers, cloud infrastructure providers like AWS and Azure. They are professionals in this. Yeah? So if they say your data is secure because we are using the latest technologies, I think you can be sure that it is. And uh, we as Nitrix rely fully on this. Yeah? We say uh, we could not do it better. Yeah? They have thousands of people working every day on, uh, on cloud security, on infrastructure security, and so on and so on. Uh, I think our facilities could not be safer. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, let's go to you on this one. Then, and obviously, last to Heather, data security. Uh, if you want to make comments on that, and maybe, maybe even if I can put a little sharper point on the pencil on this, just because a person keeps data in house, does that make them safe from cybersecurity? So, you know, general question, or if you want to answer that specific one, Brian. Okay. I mean, yeah, in today's climate, 
you know, the security of the data storage remains at the top of our list. Knock on wood, very fortunately, we haven't been on the receiving end of any of those types of cyber attacks, likely because we have a good firewall in place. Um, more relevant to Erie Steel, the problems we face are data storage limits, length of data retention, and, you know, scalability, also accessibility. Um, whether it be video records, furnace records, quality records, shipping records, the list goes on, you know, as far as how long do we want to retain, retain that data and how accessible does it need to be? You know, we utilize um, surveillance cameras, not spying on employees, but really more of a proof of, you know, key operations, proof of start, proof of completion. The cardinal sin of heat treating is don't put a, don't ship a green part back to the customer. So what better way to prove that other than, um, you know, by surveillance systems, but that poses an issue, you know, if we make sensitive cameras, uh, increase the sensitivity, length of retention goes down. So it's, uh, you know, a nice balance between form and function, as well as retention, whether we use IP high def cameras or low def cameras, but that's on its own internal server, server on site. Um, a lot of our uh, furnace continuous furnace trending uh, software is continuously recorded. That's on its own dedicated own separate dedicated server with offsite backups. Then we have you know all of our PLC data that that could fill up a server in a matter of weeks if we really wanted it to. So at times we were recording every second. We don't need to do that for most operations. So every minute make the data accessible for a month. And after that, we, we send it off to the cloud. And uh, for our ERP system and our you know quality management system, we utilize Bluestreak, which is a web-based platform. We used to have uh, on-site uh, grid-based platform. And that you know frees up a tremendous amount of uh, space for the server. So we can, you know, A, keep it, you know, 70% or less for capacity reasons. And uh, the only issue then, of course, is if we have a power outage, we lose internet. Um, but those are risks at this point that we're willing to take. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. Heather, how about you? Data storage, generally speaking, what's the what's the situation? Well, I think whether you're deciding to store locally or in the cloud, there's a couple of things to consider. Your digital rights management, your data loss prevention. So if you're working in-house, that means isolating assets on the land to make sure that if there is an infection, that it stops immediately. So that's one of the basic controls in what is now level one. So you have to have some of that in place so that if someone does get into your system, and we're not talking uh, a brute force attacker, we're talking a, a person with the uh, password of 1234. We're talking about the person that has not changed their password in 23 years, and they're still working on a DOS-based system. So all those legacy uh, systems that are not yet updated, that's where the real risk comes from, storing data locally. So it's, it's really user behavior oriented that's backed up by the solid digital rights management and data loss protection as far as storing locally. One thing to be very careful about when moving to cloud solutions, most commercially off the shelf available cloud solutions are not compliant with NIST 800-171. So if you're talking about just Office 365, you have to move to the government version. So now we're on zoom.gov instead of regular zoom, Doug. I don't know if that's- Yeah, yeah. we are not. So, you know, yeah. be careful what you say. <laughs> the problem with that is when you move to those cloud solutions, they are inherently user prohibitive. They're awful to work with and they're extremely expensive. So it's a you're kind of in a rock and a hard place. Do we store locally and take on more risk and more in-house compliance costs? Or do we trust these big guys who have a billion dollar guy backing them up who seems to know what he's doing, but also humans are humans and it's still an inherently broken system. So we all have to be careful and take our ownership of the programs that we're putting in place so that we have working knowledge, where our data is going, how it's being backed up, how it's being stored and retained. Right, right. Just a, a quick round robin question, just kind of a yes or a no. And if you want to elaborate a little bit, feel free. Do you think in today's day and age that it's just as safe to store things in the cloud as it is locally? Why don't we start? Uh, Mike, what do you think? Just a quick opinion I, question. Do you think it's just as safe? 
Yes, but you have to respect the requirements and it's, yeah, it's a compliance, okay. that's the problem. All right, Don, what do you think? Yes, for the most part, you know, the like we said, the uh, larger companies have teams of people working on this every day. So they're yep. more, uh, not only can they react, they can be more proactive and staying out in front of it than the rest of us can because they have the resources. Right. So in right. theory, yes. Yeah, Heather, what do you think? Just as safe to store in the cloud as, as local? I believe that it has the potential to be more safe because you can rely on a group of resources that you don't have to actively manage yourself. However, yeah. that takes a lot of oversight and research. So it might be yeah. easier for a smaller company to create a very small locus of control as opposed to moving to a large cloud solution during their migration to CMMC. Gotcha, gotcha. And Brian, how about you? Just a safe? I think the short answer is yes, but it, you know, it depends on which cloud are we talking about and what does your internal infrastructure look like as well as what are your internal policies? Um, yeah. Then it gets into more of a convenience discussion. How do you need that data? How frequent do you access it? But I think there's the potential for it to be as safe or potentially more safe. Right, okay. All right, so I wanna take a, a, a brief break and ask Heather a question. If you can do just do a, 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 a you know, a 30 second, 60 second uh, explanation of CMMC for us. And so then and we want to ask some questions about that. But I want to make sure that those who are listening, who might not know what that is, what is that CMMC? It's important. So it's the cybersecurity maturity model certification. So the government in all of their perpetual wisdom decided that they're really tired of getting attacked by uh, all the bad guys. So to protect the state of the defense infrastructure and I guess maybe protect themselves because they have to do it too. They designed this system. Now for today's um talk, I want to make sure that we understand that I personally am going to be vacillating between CMMC 1.0 and CMMC 2.0. Drastically different. CMMC 2.0 is still in rulemaking, but it's got a lot of exciting, better things potentially in it versus mm -hmm. CMMC 1.0. The point is CMMC 1.0 is the law of the land and has been since 2019. So it's up to everyone who deals with the federal government to ensure that they are up to the minimum standard requirements for CMMC MMC 1.0, um, which is just basically a self-assessment and some basic controls. The government really wants to put in place a supply chain that is not full of holes for the enemy to take our most yeah. trusted and effective data. Uh, I'm curious about the, with it, when it comes to CMMC, then uh, implementation, best strategies for implementation, how do we find out about it more? Uh, Heather, I'll stick with you on this one, and then maybe we'll move down to Mike and Don, and then over to Brian. Uh, CMMC, what what are some good strategies for implementing this? Well, the first thing is to identify what you're going to attack. So, if your whole company does not deal with CUI or FCI uh, control of unclassified information or federal contract information, then you don't need to be talking about CMMC. So, the first step is to get your senior leadership team together and start with a block of information that's manageable, either by location, by area, by contract, by project. Start at that top level and read the flowdowns to find out if you even have to do this, then decide a plan of action. I strongly recommend a phased integration approach over a period of about 18 months. If you're trying to jam this into a six-month process, it likely will be unsuccessful, strictly because that's not enough time to even get the written policies and procedures in place. So plan for this to take about 18 months to two years and plan for it to cost you about $180,000, about <laughs> 60 grand a year. Yeah. is what the government, the Department of Defense says it will cost. Okay. All right. You're speaking from experience though. Yeah, you guys have done this. Over Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It took us closer to two and a half years, but luckily we started early enough to where that phased yeah. approach was okay. Yeah. All right, Mike, how about to you? CMMC, uh, are you helping, you know, some of your customers needing to do it? You guys needing to do it? What, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, sure. So uh, Nitrix is a solution provider. So we are not only having commercial e-treatment. We have also, uh, we are creating furnaces. We are building furnaces. We are also creating um, 
this uh, control software. And uh, lately we released our uh, Cumulus IoT platform. So we are really involved in the, to this topic because uh, we need to make sure that our customers get a solution which is CMMC compliant in the end. Um, and uh, one thing which I really would like to mention is here that it does not only stop with the, with the software. It's not only software, it's also controllers. It's, it's the hardware on the controllers. Yeah, it's even the network, um, let's say, a component on your controller which has to be CMMC compliant in the end and which makes it really hard for small companies uh, yeah, to care, take care of it. So my, I, I suggest that you outsource a lot of these things because you can make your suppliers responsible for it. And uh, mm. I sh for sure, this will come with rising prices and so on, but uh, for small heat treatment shops, um, it's not maintainable, I guess. Maybe with the new approach of the CMMC release, which is relaxing a lot of things, it might be better, but we still do not know. It's a yeah. So your suggestion is to outsource a, a exactly. lot of these, whether it be components, whatever. Okay, all right. Yeah, Don't because help we Okay. Yeah, I, I would just like to add, yeah, because we spend a lot of time to, to figure out what it really means is CMMC things. Yeah. And as Heather already said, it will take you months to understand everything. And if you're not a professional in cybersecurity and uh, maybe created these policies, you are lost. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Don, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I would echo a lot of what Mike's saying, you know, as, as the whole industry goes more towards the IIoT you know, um, implementing things like CMCC will be, or CMMC, excuse me, uh, will be, you know, more and more difficult and, and you need help, you know, bottom line, unless you've got enough resources internally that can, that can uh, address the needs and understand, well, first off, as, as Heather mentioned, understanding the, the law, the regulations is in and of itself is usually enough uh, to, to keep someone occupied for quite some time. But even after that, then knowing what it means and implementing it, I think is, you know, getting the right person on it would certainly help, uh, help the process. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Brian. I think uh, Heather really hit the nail on the head. I mean, first steps to make sure it matches your strategic plan and your business plan. You know, currently this is not a certification that Erie Steel possesses. You know, it's on our business plan at, in, as a threat under SWOT analysis. Um, but based on our current and forecasted customer base, this isn't something that we plan on, you know, moving forward on here in the near future. Right, right. The uh, Heather, you'd mentioned about the control of unclassified information. Can you just expound on that a little bit? And because I think that if I re if I remember what you were saying, you're saying that's it's important to know whether you're in that category, right? Because if right. you are, you need to do certain things. If you're not, you don't need to do certain things. Yes, if you handle CUI at your company or if you create CUI, then you're likely going to be subject to the DFARS requirements when they're flowed down to you. So if you are a federal contractor, it's likely you don't have a choice in this. It's going to be in your contract flow downs. So if you want to know more about control of unclassified information, there is an ongoing and ever-changing list that's available to you on the National Archives website, which is archives.gov. So if you okay. go in there and you search controlled unclassified information, it has a subsection list by industry. So if all you do is firearms, cool, click on firearms, it's going to tell you which CUI you have. If you only work defense, okay, cool, here's a nice little chart. It's an invaluable resource on picking out key terms of your parts of your business to see if it matches up with, with the CUI. But also FCI, which is the federal contract information, grand jury data is, is protected. Now, do we all deal with that? No, but financial transactions and general data information that you might not think is protected is protected. So spend some time in the National Archives. It's not boring, I promise. It's actually pretty easy reading. It has <laughs> nice charts and hyperlinks. And yeah, it sounds boring it. if I may just say so. You know, being in the National Archives doesn't sound like a place I want to spend my Friday afternoon, but okay. Well, call me, I'll make it more exciting for you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. All right, I, I want to deviate a little bit from the questions that we sent. Maybe just just wrap up with two questions, okay? And we'll we'll deal with them individually, but I'll get you thinking about it a little bit. We'll return to the second part of the episode in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Sign up to go to Pittsburgh this October 31st, 2022. This fall, Heat Treat Today is hosting the first ever Heat Treat Bootcamp, a basic training to benefit new hires and old hires 
who want to learn more about what the North American heat treat industry has to offer. We're talking the main players, products, processes, markets, and materials in the North American heat treat market. That is, who are the main equipment and service suppliers? What products are they selling? What are the popular processes in heat treat? What markets is heat treat most important to? And what materials are most often heat treated? This is the perfect training to help you walk and talk the industry and will not be overly technical. Go to heatreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp to register for the three-day event in Pittsburgh. Again, that training is found at www.heatreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. Now back to the episode. I think I want to wrap up just because we want to make this fairly practical for people. Can you tell us, this question one will be, can you tell us what your company has done thus far to address cybersecurity? And it's, again, it's going to be a range of things, right? Some have done a lot, some have done a little. Uh, and again, briefly. And then the second question I want to ask you, which we'll wrap up with, is what do you see, if you could put on your prognostication hat here and you're looking into the future, what do you see being some of the major movements that we're going to have to be dealing with as far as cybersecurity? So it's a little bit of fun looking into the future and and uh, and and seeing what we can, you know, what you think is going, what people we're going to have to deal with in the heat treat industry. So, Mike, if you don't mind, we'll we'll start with you with Nitrex. What what have you had to do so far? Not not looking for, but just what have you done so far to really deal with the whole cybersecurity threat? Whoops. Okay. Yeah. My go. bad. That's right. um, so in the past, we started with, uh, yeah, let's say the human factor again. Um, so in the beginning, or uh, since oh, until six years before, everyone had administrator rights on his local PC. And, you know, everyone is, was installing everything, malware, spyware, and even things which were, yeah, unsuspicious, let's call it like this. But a lot of things happened in the background without uh, any, without, without even noticing. And uh, you know these are open. These actions are opening doors for a cybersecurity thing. So that's why we installed something like uh, MS Labs, which is a local admin password solution. Yeah. So we can make really sure that people only installing things which have been approved, and and so on. This was one of the things. Then we also introduced something like MS Defender, is an antivirus solution which is uh, hosted in the cloud, which is making use of AI, so identifying things before they get really serious. So this is for our local, let's say, or internal IT infrastructure. So those are also basic things, making use of the latest approaches and software solutions we can get. And uh, yeah, lately we started with education because uh, we said it already uh, multiple times in this meeting or in this discussion here, uh, that the human factor is the most important part. And we need to sensitize, is it is the correct word? Sorry, yeah. sensitize. yes, yeah, yeah. we need to sensitize uh, people about yeah, let's say all the risks and all the things the internet brings. And uh, yeah, that's why we started to make, yeah, have these security trainings, uh, web-based and so on, which really help also to make people aware of these things. And uh, in terms of our solutions, which we are offering, we for sure made, uh, we planned accordingly a roadmap on how to make it CMMC compliant. Uh, our hardware, we have to rework our whole controller infrastructure, which we are offering. Um, so to make our furnace CMMC compliant, uh, the same for our MES software, which we are having on premise for Cumulus as well, which is our IoT solution, which is hosted in AWS. Um, and here it really depends on our customers if we are hosting it in, an, in a Gov cloud or in a usual, let's say public cloud, and yeah, so that's what we are doing. So we're investigating okay. really to our needs or to the needs of our of our industry. Okay, good. Yeah, and we will get to as I said, we'll get to what do you what do you plan on doing in the future too, Brian? Why don't we yep. go jump up to you on this? So far, what has Erie Erie Steel been up to? Well, as I stated, you know, during the risk assessment portion of management review, cybersecurity is regularly listed as a consistent internal and external threat. Historically, it's been less relevant than it is today, so little action was done. You know, over the past few years, we've really focused in this area and targeted internally on internal infrastructure. Um, with that, you know, we always try to keep a focus on understanding current environmental trends in cybersecurity. But with any with anything, any policy, any initiative, it should start and end with a strategic plan. 
you know, plans need to be well thought out, uh, employee expectations clearly communicated prior to rollout, and feedback welcomed throughout these transitions. So here we, we practice self-audits and realize that server capacity as well as the life expectancy of our server um, was a great concern. We met with IT several times and uh, came up with a plan to replace and upgrade our existing server um, and came up with it in four separate phases. Phase one being clean up the current system. Phase two, change the system over. Phase three is the new file structure for day-to-day -day operations. And phase four is to implement our new cybersecurity policy. So right now we're um, approaching the end of phase three. So you know, we're gonna be sitting down again and reviewing the cybersecurity policy. Um, like I said, though, if you, if you have doubts, self-audit, or you can always have a third party auditor come in and you know share their two cents. Some other things we've done, um, antivirus, anti-spyware software, those, those should be givens. You know, when individuals need to access the servers remotely, make use of VPNs, utilize firewall security, ensure management, um, you know, has a firm understanding on the server capacity and requirements. Regularly back up the critical data, have redundant backups in different locations. You know, of course, make sure your Wi-Fi is secure. Passwords should regularly change. Same for all the usernames. Um, and then you'll see this with a lot of larger companies that you really want to limit access to data um, and limit authority to make changes. Uh, just one thing we have done is our PLCs are operating locally on our own internal internet in case there is a server storm, in case there is a power outage. Well, power outage wouldn't really help us in that situation, but um, in, in case there is a server storm or a internet outage that you know we can still operate locally. We just don't have all the trending software to support it like day-to-day -day operations. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that just that just by itself, Brian, sounds like a huge task. I mean, just switching over a server, you know, sounds like a sounds like a lot of work. But uh, I think a lot of companies are going to be listening to this, especially some of the smaller uh, captive heat treaters are, you know, where to start. So, yeah, I think self-audit's a great idea. Yeah, good advice. Don, let's go to you. Then we'll finish up this question with Heather. Then we'll move into, you know, thinking about the future. Sure. So, you know, from our perspective, uh, we've done we're focusing on that human factor, right? So trying to increase yeah. training. Uh, and then once it's out there, we test it, right? So <laughs> once in a while, you'll get, get forewarned that uh, you're going to, you're going to sometime over the next 24 hours, you're going to get a phishing email. And, you know, what, what do you do with it? And sometimes they won't tell us. And all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, what's that? You know, uh, I'm not going to click on that link, but honestly, that's, those are the, the doors that are easier to close that we need to um, and then, you know, some other uh, activities have been like adding multi-factor authentication where it's necessary. So, you know, you're, yeah, it takes longer. Yeah, it's a pain, but it's necessary to make sure it is you and not somebody else. Um, and then, as everybody else has mentioned, the usual, you know, firewalls, uh, <clears throat> protecting Wi-Fi, uh, data networks, etc. But I did want to touch a little bit more on the equipment side for just a minute. And, and you know, I've, in my experiences with customers, sometimes an easier way to deal with this, especially because the interconnectivity to, to the equipment is becoming more and more prevalent, um, is just to basically have a separate service, a separate internet connection that you control. And it's basically, if you need us to, if you need help, you need to connect that piece of equipment to the internet, you physically plug it in. If not, you take it out. And when it's out, you know, you, you are in control. It, it, on your network, uh, you're passing data where you need to, and that's it. You know, it's back under, the, under that umbrella. And then when you physically plug it in, you're doing so, making that decision consciously to say, okay, for this period of time, I need it to be connected. But at least then you have some direct control. Is it rudimentary? Yes. Is it maybe not the most convenient? Yes, it's not the most convenient. But until you have the point, you're to the point where you can uh, uh, research all of the needed data and regulations, it can, they can get you to the point where at least you have some control. Yeah, yeah. 
nothing like a physical line to plug in and unplug to to right. to help you help you feel feel safe. All right, Heather, how about you? What 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 has uh, thermal technology been doing? Well, we started with an assessment that we paid people to do, an expert that came in and evaluated our system against the CMMC requirements. And that was very scary and expensive. And it felt like someone was speaking Greek to me. And frankly, I got bored within the first 30 minutes of him giving me the report. But that's where you start. And don't be afraid if you get a negative score on the darn test because you got to pick a place and you got to get the baseline. So the nice thing about CMMC is it's progressive. It's meant to be transitional. So you're not going straight to level three and your whole life's going to change. You go from that assessment and then you work your way in into, into you know, phase one. The CMMC level one is meaning we're doing the stuff. We just can't repeat it and we don't have any documentation. And then level two, okay, now we're doing stuff and now we're gonna make it repeatable by documenting it. And then phase three is, okay, now we're gonna make machines manage the process that are documented so we can repeat them and do them. So it builds upon itself. So embrace the stages. That's what we've done. And we started all the way back at, at we were a 0.79. Uh, out, of, out of what? Uh, out of the level uh, one through three of the one. Okay, gotcha, we're point gotcha, gotcha. seven nine. Now I've right. seen people that are minus numbers, minus two. Minus... <laughs> okay, all right. And that's I should okay. laugh. I'd probably be there. Right. <laughs> it's okay. Everyone starts yeah. somewhere, and if you haven't had to look at infrastructure as relating to information technology in twenty years, then why would you have ever looked at it? Right. So take it in the phased approach. That's what we did, and we baby stepped our way in and took all the painful points and broke them down into a thousand sub-steps. And that yeah. was the best thing we could have done. Yeah, yeah. All right, appreciate it. So let's 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 go, we're gonna go backwards in order, if I can, if I can remember the order. And let, well, let's talk about the future. Let's talk about the future. And I guess what I wanna get a sense from you guys to wrap up is one, where do you, what do you see as being the greatest risks to your companies? And I think, especially with our equipment guys, with Nitrex and with, with Mike and Don, if you're able to address that from your customer's perspective, right? What, is, what are the issues with new equipment going in? What are the biggest risks that you're seeing? What, if there are any, which I'm assuming there are, uh, you know, what are the biggest risks and where do you see us? What do you see the, us doing in the future differently than we're doing now as far as mitigating any of those risks? So Heather, back to you on this one. The biggest risk is complacency or denial. This will come to you and it already has. If you take the viewpoint of, well, I'll do it when my customer makes me, you will be so far behind the ball. It's gonna be painful. The absolute worst risk you could possibly take is not looking at it or denying that you're involved in it. If you're in heat treating, 90% likely that this is going to apply to you in some way. Now, the great news is CMMC 2.0, over 60% of the industrial supply base is only going to have to be a level one. That's a self-report annually. That's not that big a deal. Anybody can do that. And there's great resources that are being developed to help people that want to get that basic level of CMMC compliance. So don't wait. Don't deny it get your customers pay for it, put it in your RFPs. It is an allowable cost for reimbursement. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. If you need more help on that, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. That we did with one of the questions we didn't get to, and that was how to make your customers pay for it, which sounds like a very intriguing question, but yeah, you mentioned it there. So Don, how about you? We'll go over to you on this one. Yeah. So um, I think the, the, you know, moving forward, <clears throat> a couple of things are happening, right? So the, the labor market is changing. Uh, it's changing to a demographic that's more more familiar with this technology, which is a good thing. Although, as we said, uh, I think it was Brian that said earlier on, some of those those generations may not be as sensitive as they need to be. Uh, but what that means is that um, you know the the older days when we relied heavily on operators to know what's going on, now we're switching more towards you know the technology managing the equipment from the equipment's point of view. And what that means is there will be fewer people. Uh, managing more equipment from fewer places. So if, if you're looking at a, a multi-location operation that's managing data from a central location, uh, you know, that, that becomes pretty complex pretty quick, but it's, it's becoming more commonplace, you know, in the, in the industry than it used to be. 
So obviously that opens up a lot of doors for uh, you know cybersecurity risk, and that's got to be carefully managed. And 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 in the light of CMMC and and others, you know, as far as cybersecurity goes. So I think the future is um, the technology's there, it's available, but has to be implemented carefully and it has to be well thought out by people who know what they're doing. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Brian, I think we go to you and then, then we end with Mike. So Brian. So when, you know, when chaos sets in, the one standing by your side without flinching can be considered your family. You know, when chaos sets in in manufacturing, managers must remain flexible, patient, and understanding, which leads to the difference between a leader and a manager. You know, a good, good manager is not always a leader and good leaders are always managers. Um, Managers have people work for them while leaders have people follow them. But on the note of chaos, when it sets in, communication is key. So if you're the responsible party, designate primary and secondary points of contact um, for cybersecurity support. Have performance incentives in place for the responsible managers. You know, if you're rolling out a new policy based on uh, the successful rollout of their, that policy, you know, put some incentives in place. Maintain open lines of communication and welcome feedback. You know, make sure that training material is available. Because something I've come to realize is that employees often shy away from asking for help. So instead, try to get the help at their fingertips and ask specific strategic questions to prove their understanding. Um, so really, at the end of the day, conduct your risk assessments. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And that's 95% of what, you know, knowledge today. So be, be cognizant of what's out there. Let's face it, cyber warfare, cyber terrorism are very real, very selective, quick and cheap attacks on the hackers from the ha hacker's perspective, you know, and they remain anonymous. All right. And, so, and, and, devast and devastating for the companies who are on the receiving end, potentially. Yeah. On the micro scale, it's real, especially yeah. for small businesses. Yeah. You know, you've hit on an interesting thing, uh, Brian, is that, and that is, and we didn't, obviously we can't spend time talking about everything, but it's just the, the, the way you address this from a personnel, it, from a personnel perspective inside your company, you know, are you having someone there that's, that's, that's the, that's the point person for cybersecurity? I mean, you know, I don't know, do they have a, uh, this shows my ignorance, but that's okay. It's easy to do. They have a uh, chief security officer, a CSO now, I assume, right? Used to be, you know, adding to the C-suite. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Let's go. Let's go over to uh, Mike. Just talking about again the, the the what do you see as being the future threats and how are we going to be mitigating them? Yeah, I think there's not that much to add. Yeah, we uh, talked about the human factor. I think, as I said, most important thing. So education, 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 and also. But more of education is needed here. Also, with the people on the shop floor, um, they are they are often working still with pen and paper. They are not really used to go with the digital medium uh, mediums or components and so on. So we really have to be uh, sensible there as well. So we mentioned that uh, the management has to take care that uh, they are not, let's say, steamrolled by all these approaches and. Um, this is really important. The other thing I already mentioned as well is uh, to outsource as much as possible, um, if it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So talking about uh, the hardware, the uh, software components, the solutions, and so on. Yeah. If you can get a solution which is CMMC compliant and the vendor is stating it, get it. Yeah. yeah. Because it's taking a lot of work from you. So that that's great. I appreciate it. So let's do this. Last thing we'll do is just uh, and and you may or may not have anything for this. Any final thought you want to leave with again the people that might be listening to this watching this are basically going to be people who are uh manufacturers have their own in-house heat treat shops commercial heat treaters suppliers of the industry any last comments that you want to that you want to leave we'll edit them in don anything no is an okay answer by the way to this it's not a, not a problem if we don't have anything yeah, uh, the only thing I'd add is just to be proactive. That that always yeah. helps in these cases. Um, and and what that means is up to you. But you know, yeah. being proactive to address it. Right. 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Don't stick your head in the sand, or if it is there, get it out. <laughs> get it out of wherever it is and pay attention, right? Be proactive on it. Heather, how about you? That's exactly right. And some of us have larger egos that prevent us from reaching out for help. Understand that the literal federal government wants to help you, and there are so many resources out there. They can be a nightmare to navigate, but start with the people on this call. Reach out, talk to yeah. someone, get outside your circle, and start figuring out how to make it work for you. Yeah, good advice. Mike, how about you? And then we'll end with, end with Brian if you have any other comments. Again, if you don't, no problem. No, the best, best statement of Heather, I think it's being proactive, ask for help, uh, don't be shy, invest the money, it it's, will be worse to invest. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Brian, how about you? Um, I think find what works best for your organization and remain flexible. You know, solutions to cybersecurity should not be a one size fits all approach. So plan for the worst and strive for the best, you know? Yeah. Great, great. Guys, thanks very much. I, I appreciate it. I know this is a huge, huge topic. I know we've just we've just you know skimmed across the top. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode on cybersecurity. Heat Treat Radio is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and the website www.heatreattoday.com forward slash radio. If you'd like to learn more about any of our guests, you can check out their company websites listed on the video screen or in the transcript. Again, our guests are Heather Falcone, CEO of Thermalback Technologies, Inc., Ryan Flynn, plant manager at Erie Steel LTD, Mike Lupke, head of software and digitalization, Nitrox Metal, and Don Martini, VP of engineering at Seco Vacuum Technologies. You can also reach out to me and I'll put you in touch. My email is bethany at heatreetoday.com. Perhaps this conversation has your wheels turning and ideas churning. If you have an interesting idea that you want to hear discussed on Heat Street Radio, let me know. Also, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, let me know at bethany at heatreetoday.com. Heat Treat Today offers a slew of practical industry resources, like the four-volume Heat Treat Doctor series about atmosphere heat treat and vacuum heat treat. You can purchase your copies online at the Heat Treat store by searching www.heattreattoday.com forward slash store. Heat Treat Ready would like to thank Heat Treat Bootcamp for sponsoring this episode. This is your last chance to sign up to attend this basic training at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. And I'm Bethany Leo. Thank you for listening.